today is actually the last to ask for it. So uh, I know some of you have been looking forward to that day. <laughs> Next week, uh, Tara's going to be preaching, and we're looking forward to that. And then the week after that, we're going to spend uh, a month or two just really focusing in on uh, being intimate with God and uh, being able to hear his voice and different ways of connecting with him and uh, just to really help us uh, feel and experience God's love and closeness in deeper ways. And so that's where we're going to be going. Uh, but today we're going to talk about uh, my friend Dave or your friend Ann or your buddy Bob or whoever your neighbor is or your friend is or uh, the people that you work with. Because uh, this question has to do uh, with uh, relating to those who are of a different faith. And uh, the question is specifically, uh, how do we as Christians handle our relationships with First Nations people, specifically with alternate beliefs and post-colonial uh, attitudes and, and life? And so I have this question specifically about relating to First Nations people, but I thought we'd just expand it to uh, relating to anybody who has maybe a different belief system than, than we do. And I'm not entirely sure if the question is in terms of uh, how do I relate to them in terms of maybe they're doing things that they're inviting us to participate in. If that's the question, you can just go back to last week's message where we uh, talked about, is this okay? And in terms of a lot of things in life we face, uh, is this okay for me to do or should I not do this? Well, last week we talked about how do we discern whether something's okay or not. Uh, but I kind of assume this is maybe more how do you reach out to those kind of people? Uh, how do we connect with people who are of other belief systems? And, and all of us know what it's like because, I mean, we're surrounded by people who are not Christians. Uh, at least statistically in BC, uh, about 44% of people would say, at least if they're asked to check a box in terms of Canada census, would, would say they are Christian. About the same percentage would have a no religious affiliation. And then we have just different belief systems. Uh, Aboriginal spirituality is about 0.2% uh, of the population. We know, at least here, these statistics would look very different, different here. Um, in terms of percentage of Christians, it's probably much more, maybe around maybe 3%, maybe 5%. Uh, obviously, things like Buddhism and New Age uh, would be a lot higher than the rest of BC. But those are kind of BC stats. Uh, in terms of... Uh, at least uh, Aboriginal people, because that's the question was asking about First Nations. Uh, at least across Canada, 64% uh, would actually describe themselves, at least again when they're asked to check a box, would say they are Christian. About 20% would say uh, no religion, and 2% would kind of uh, uh, be back to sort of the Aboriginal spirituality. Uh, but the question is, how do we um, relate to these people? Uh, your neighbor, my friend, uh, how do we connect with them? And, and first of all, I mean, we love them. Every single person we meet is worthy of being loved deeply. Uh, every single person we see on the street, every single person we talk to, every single person across the lawn, our neighbor, uh, we're to love people deeply. When people walk into our presence, they should sense love. Because God is love. And God lives in us, and God wants to, to leak through us, if you will. And if the God of love is in us and leaking through us, then we should 
We should smell of love. When, when people touch us, they should, they should sense love. When, when maybe someone pushes us, uh, they, should, they should feel love because love is to be what we are about. In fact, John 13, speaking kind of even in evangelistic terms, in terms of you know, how are people going to get this message that God is good and awesome and powerful and loving, well, Jesus said it had actually a lot to do with our love. In John 13, he says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. So the standard is not, you know, I'm just going to love the way, you know, I love myself or, you know, I'm just going to love the way I see people love. The standard is actually, this is how Jesus loved me. And so I'm to love, love people in the same way. But he says here, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's not, you know, everyone's going to know that you're a Christian because you go to church, or it's not everyone will know because you read your Bible. It's everyone will know. People will know and see the goodness and love of God when they see you being a loving person uh, and loving those that are difficult to love. Because, again, the Bible says, you know, it's, it's easy to love those who love you. Anybody can do that. When you love those tough people, when you love that neighbor you don't like, when you you know, love that co-worker who's always grinding on you and, and you're just showing love that Jesus said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Every single person you see, every person you meet is worthy of being loved deeply. And Jesus did this. Again, Jesus, our example. Uh, when Jesus just walked through this world and you see in the Gospels, there's this phrase that often happens how Jesus sees the crowds and he has compassion on them. You know, the Pharisees walked differently. They walked through this world, and when they saw the crowds, they were disgusted because they're not measuring up. Look at what they're doing, and, and they're not following the way as sort of the negative, negative religious Pharisees. But Jesus was different. He saw people, and he, he had just deep compassion on them. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. When Jesus led and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And in doing that, he is showing them the love of God. Matthew 15, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. In Matthew 20, Jesus had compassion on them. And again, he touches them and he draws near. I mean, he loved people. He drew near people. He was not afraid to connect even with messy situations. And because he had this love for people, uh, we see that uh, one of his names was actually a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I mean, the Pharisees were, were disgusted by tax collectors and sinners, but Jesus, because he knew every single person was worthy to be loved because God loves them and they're made in the image of God, he hung around them and he connected with them, he became friends with them. In fact, in Matthew 9, it says, Matthew, who was a tax collector, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I mean, Jesus was having dinner with them, and, and, and that, in those days, uh, meant intimate connection. Uh, so he's connecting, he's loving these people. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And that's, that's religion. Religion always separates. Religion you know, puts people over there, and, you know, I'm not going to hang out with you. But Jesus operated entirely differently. He looked out, and he had compassion on people. And we are called to have the same heart of Jesus. 
that when we look out at our workplace, our schools, our communities, that we have compassion on people and that we're willing to hang out and be friends and to meet people and to, and to get to know them. And, uh, and so it's important that we actually work at creating genuine friendships with people, that we're not afraid of that. Uh, that we don't make projects out of people. Because I know sometimes Christians say, you know, I, I'm just hanging out with this person because I want to bring them to the Lord. Well, if that's your only motive, then is that actually showing unconditional love? I mean, we're to love people whether they become Christians or not. We can be friends with people whether they become Christians or not. Now, obviously, that's going to be a desire of ours because we know how much life Jesus has given us and we want that for others. But, but we, we love and we have compassion and, and, and we connect with these people. And so... Um, how do we do relationships with those outside Christianity? We love them. We connect with them. We're, we're not afraid to hang out with them. And we can have genuine friendships uh, with, with people. Uh, another point is that sometimes we may have to help people navigate any experiences with toxic Christianity. Um, I mean, if you spend any time meeting your neighbors, talking to people, you'll run into people who have had toxic experiences with Christianity, like negative religious kind of pharisaical experiences where uh, they just don't want anything to do with Christianity because of what Christians have done. I think it was Ravi Dacharias who says that often people are more turned off by Christians than they are of Jesus. And sometimes there's truth to that. I mean, uh, I remember reading a biography of this, this famous athlete who was uh, just telling his story of how he grew up with, with his stepdad who went to church and called himself a Christian, but was constantly emotionally and physically beating him. And, and he says in that book, I don't want anything ever to do with Christianity because of, of his stepdad. That's an experience with toxic Christianity that sometimes just puts people to a place where, like, I don't want anything to do. I would never go to a church. Um, and I don't even know why I'm hanging around with you as a Christian because I, I just hate Christians because of a, of a negative experience. Now, in some ways, this is becoming less. Because at least in this area, there are more and more people, especially young people, who have had no experience with Christianity. Uh, to the extent that there was a time when I was actually preaching, and after I finished, at the end of the service, I went up, and this mom came up to me and says, i got to tell you what just happened. And she said, I was sitting there with my daughter, and a few times my daughter looked up and said, Mom, why is that man swearing? She's like, what? Like, why is that man swearing? She's like, what? You keep saying Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, I mean, some people just don't have any experience uh, with Christianity. Um, and, and so, which is awesome because we get to show them the, 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 true, uh, the, the truth of Christianity. That it, it is about a good, loving, great, amazing, powerful God who loves you and wants to relate with you and connect with you. Uh, but again, there are many who have ne negative, toxic experiences. And we can use an example from right from this question because the question had to do with uh, First Nations people. Um, and uh, there are a lot of First Nations people who have had a, a negative experiences with, with Christianity. Um, I mean, we have a, a kind of a, a ugly heritage in Canada of uh, residential schools where First Nations people were taken from their homes and their families and put in residential schools. And, and for the most part, uh, that was a very negative experience. Uh, the schools were run about 60% Catholic Church, 30% Protestant. They were run by, by, by people who called themselves Christians. Um, I'm not an expert on this, but I would hope that the Canadian Encyclopedia would be a valid source. Uh, this is what our Canadian Encyclopedia says about residential schools. It says, overall, 
students had a negative experience at the residential schools, one that would have lasting consequences. Now, some studies have actually shown that a lot of the, the addictions that play out today in the First Nations community go back to the trouble and, and sort of the PSD and stuff that came out of, out, out of residential schools. Uh, students were isolated and their culture was disparaged or scorned. They were removed from their homes and parents and were separated from some of their siblings as the schools were segregated according to gender. In some cases, they were forbidden to speak their first language, even in letters home to their parents. Many students suffered abuse at res residential schools. While some staff tried to be good instructors and parent parental surrogates, the institutional setting and the volume of work defeated even their best of intentions. And patience and correction often led to excessive punishment, including physical abuse. In some cases, children were heavily beaten, chained, or confined. Some of the staff were sexual predators, and many students were sexually abused. When allegations of sexual abuse were brought forward by students, parents, or staff, the response by government and the church officials was at best inadequate. The police were seldom contacted, and even if government or church officials decided that the complaint had merit, uh, the response was often simply to fire the perpetrator. At other times, they allowed the abuser to keep teaching. And so um, this, this is a, a very negative experience that a lot of First Nations people had with Christianity. In fact, I don't know if you remember those heritage moments, that they used those one-minute heritage moments. They, Canada actually did a heritage moment on, on some of the abuse in the schools, and, and here's, that, uh, here's that video. Chani Wenjack was one of thousands of children who died due to Canada's residential school system. More than 80,000 survivors and their families still live with its legacy today. And so that may be a conversation uh, that may come up if you're talking to uh, First Nations folks and uh, they talk about their experience. And, and so sometimes when you're dealing with people who are outside the faith, you actually have to help them see the goodness of God and see the love of the Father and, and point out uh, the mistakes that were not uh, done in, in kingdom ways. And of course, again, Jesus is our example. Uh, Jesus had the same kind of issue to deal or similar issue to deal with in his day uh, because there were the Pharisees uh, who pushed kind of negative religion and a, and a wrong view of God on people in the name of God. And there were times when Jesus actually used kind of some strong language. In Matthew 23, he says, you know, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And, and sometimes... People uh, do this in the name of 
of God, they, they shut the door of the kingdom in people's faces because they present a, a negative view of Christianity or a wrong view that doesn't line up with the goodness and love of God. And so uh, we need to keep that in mind. Sometimes there are roadblocks uh, that need to be worked through uh, for people to see, see the goodness of God. And that may be part of dealing with um, people, uh, some of the First Nations people. Uh, number three, another thing um, just to keep in mind is to be constantly asking God this question. Uh, God, what are you doing and how are you working in my friend's life? Because God loves every single person, he loves all of you, God is working in your life. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian, God is at work in, in everyone's life. Uh, drawing, he's constantly trying to draw them uh, to himself. And so instead of kind of showing up and saying, like, so here's my agenda, uh, God, what are you doing in their life, and how can I join you? Uh, God, where are you revealing your love to them, and how can I join you? Uh, to be joining with God rather than coming up with your own agenda. And, and Jesus did this. In John 5, he says, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. And so to be looking where God is working and joining with God in, in what he is doing. Uh, just be in love with God. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, when you are in love with somebody, people tell. And it's contagious a lot of times. And if you're just, just diving into God and loving on God, uh, it doesn't come, become complicated in how you relate to people. Because, again, that love, you're just so in love with God and he's doing so many amazing things in your life. It just, it just kind of leaks out. Uh, just, just love on God, draw near to God, love God, uh, pray, pray for people. Um, you know, everybody struggles. I struggle, you struggle, uh, Christians struggle, non-Christians struggle. And, 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 and oftentimes just saying, hey, you know, I, I'm just going to pray for you in that. Sometimes people are even open just praying a quick prayer, and let me just pray for you. And, and uh, especially because God works miracles through prayer. There are lots of people who have been open to the, the power of God because of answer to prayer. Because someone said, you know, like, man, my, my arm has been hurting or my knee's been bad for years. And then, you know, a Christian comes up and says, hey, let's just pray and place their hand and, and they're praying. All of a sudden their, their knee is healed or their arm is healed. And, and, and there are millions of stories of God healing people. Uh, this is the way Jesus loved people. One of the ways he loved people, before he even told them about the Father, he would often heal people. I mean, uh, I was at a conference years ago. There's a pastor from Egypt there talking about how they as a church reach out to the, the Muslim community. And, uh, and they say that they, they do two things. One, they love people. And two, they pray for miracles. And they say that the majority of people who became Christian in, in Egypt from uh, Islam to Christianity became because of one, because of the love of Christians. Again, that's super important. And B, because of miracles. Uh, a lot of these Muslims would have dreams and visions about God or would be healed. And, and then they would come to church to figure out you know, who this God was. I mean, God, he works miracles and, and he can heal. And, and so be, be praying for them and tell them, hey, I'm going to be praying for you. <laughs> uh, don't get into arguments. Ask questions. Listen. Proverbs 18 says an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. I mean, uh, it doesn't help to, to fight with people. It doesn't help to, to argue with people. Uh, but listen, ask questions, have loving dialogue. Um, uh, I mean, treat them as you want to be treated. 
Again, it goes back to the heart of love. Then just lastly, just to realize that everyone's looking for life. Everyone here is looking for life. We're all looking for life. And, uh, and there is so much life in Jesus. In fact, one of the songs we're doing for the fundraiser here in just a little bit, um, one of the lines actually is this in uh, this is Lacey Sturm, uh, in Sturm in The Reason. She says, all my life I've searched for something to satisfy the longing in my heart. And every time I come away emptier than before, and she's speaking of her life before Jesus and, and how we're all looking for life, and we tend to look for life sometimes in the wrong places, including us as Christians. Sometimes we get sidetracked and we begin to try to get life from other places. Sometimes we try to get maybe life from, you know, I just, if I just make enough money, I'm going to have life. Or if I just find the right career, I'm going to have life. Or, you know, if I can just prove to those people that I'm right and they're wrong. And sometimes we try to get life from being right or our rightness or our religiosity. Or, I mean, there's so many sources. If I just find the right spouse, the right relationship, I'm going to find life. But, you know, all of those things, they may build us up for a bit, but they, they never totally satisfy because our heart was made for God. There's something in us that longs for something bigger than us, and we long for purpose, and we long for something that satisfies it. All these things in life, they give us a taste of it, but there's only one thing that truly does, and that is when we connect with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in, in an intimate relationship. And so just as we are constantly reminding ourselves, and I remind myself all the time, Jesse, life is in Jesus. It's not there. Life is in Jesus. This is how I remind you and you remind me that, that, that even with our non-Christians friends, that we can lovingly point them to the source of life. When we see them maybe just being empty because they've, they've tried that route again and again and it just leaves them empty to say, you know, there, there is a source, there is a fountain, there is a river that never runs dry. In John chapter 1 verse 4, it says, in him was life, talking about Jesus. And that life was the light of all mankind. I mean, there is so much life in Jesus. There is enough for you. There's enough for all mankind. That there is amazing life. And Jesus just talked about himself when he said, you know, I am the bread of life. Come every day to me and you will never be hungry. Believe in me and you will never be thirsty. And this is our story. This is your story. This is my story that every day... I just want to come to Jesus. I want to come to the Father. I want to come to the Holy Spirit that I may again be reminded of that source of life as I step my foot and just immerse myself in the stream of God's goodness and love. And, and, uh, and we want that for others. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, then open your heart to him. Uh, there's a, we have an awesome prayer team over here. You can go up there and just chat with them. You can talk with me. Uh, to open your heart to the immense love of God. It really does, it does change you. So, Father, we thank you. Now, you are the source of life. And I pray every day, every minute, and every hour, you continually just turn our head away from those things that cause us to, be feel, to feel empty, and you just keep on turning our head to you. You are a source of life that never runs dry. You are a source of life that satisfies. You are a source of life that is good and loving and kind. You are a source of life that is for us and not against us. And so we come to you, Father. And we love on you. And we just rest in your presence. In Jesus' name.